I'm reading from John chapter 4, starting at verse 27. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish his work. You do not say that there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed with them for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard it for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So we, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. I want to welcome those that are on YouTube Live right now. Thank you for joining us. Those that are watching right now and will be watching throughout this day and the rest of this week. And if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4. That's our text this weekend, verses 27 through 45. Those were the verses that were just read. Believe is our current teaching series. We're working our way through the gospel according to John. And this whole book is about helping us to believe. John 20, 31 explains what the purpose of the book is. These things were written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. And this weekend's title for this uh, sermon is Contagious Love. Also grab your sermon notes out. I'm gonna start off by giving you the gospel. You should be able to articulate the gospel if you're a Christian. But it's one thing to articulate it, it's altogether another to be captivated by it. And it's important to have the gospel really get a hold of your heart. The gospel is the good news that God has reconciled us to himself by sending his son to die in our place for our sins. And all who repent and believe in him have everlasting life. There's not a better life than you could live than that which comes through a fully devoted life to Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel is quite simply the best news ever. And if this is true, look at your notes, if this is true, then why do so many Christians struggle to share the glorious news of the gospel? And, and indeed they do. I'm hoping maybe many of you don't, but if you do, there's a number of reasons, and we're gonna deal with two of those reasons. One would be, and this is your first fill in the blank, apathy lost of your first love. The second one would be inadequacy. You've lost touch with the power of the gospel. You think it's all on you to be able to communicate it uh, in a life-changing way to others, and so you've therefore lost a sense of the power of the gospel. Normal Christianity is contagious love. This is our fourth G in the 5G process of full devotion to Christ here at Desert Breeze. And the fourth, the, the G process is genuine, growing, giving, going. That's the fourth G. That's what we're looking at. A going Christian. And then the fifth G is, of course, a glorifying Christian. And so uh, you can see on your notes there, two questions we're looking at it. We believe that I believe that the text will answer for us. Why share your faith? This will eliminate our apathy, at least it should. And then how to share your faith? This will eliminate our inadequacy 
in uh, sharing our faith. So let's take that first one. Why share your faith? This is based on verses 31 through 38. Let me bring you up to speed real quick because if you weren't here last week, you're not going to know where this story has, has taken us. So I'll just do a quick summary, and I would encourage you maybe later on today or this next week to go back online and listen to the story. There's a lot more than what I'm going to tell you right now. But Jesus and his disciples are leaving Judea, heading to Galilee, and they have the choice either to go through Samaria or to go around Samaria. Typically, Jews would go around Samaria. It would take them six days to go from Judea to Galilee. And, and the reason why they did that is because they despised the Samaritans. There was terrible racial tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. Samaritans were half Jews, intermarried, and, and so the Jews despised them, so they would avoid them. It would take six days to, to go around Samaria, but if they went through Samaria, it would take them three days. Jesus and his disciples go through Samaria, heading to Galilee, not because it's the shortest distance, but because of a divine appointment that Christ had with this woman at the well. Quite spectacular. It's absolutely beautiful. And so they come to Jacob's well in Samaria, close to a, a town, Sychar, and uh, he sends his disciples in for food. Now, how many disciples does it take to go fetch some food? Well, evidently, it takes all 12 of these knuckleheads, okay? And I think it's Je Jesus was just trying to get rid of them because he's about to have an encounter with this woman. So they're out going to the local town to get some food, and it's at noon, hottest part of the day, and a woman comes out to the well, which was extremely unusual. Typically, the women would come early in the morning or late in the evening when it was cooler, and it was an opportunity for, for some socializing. But she's wanting to avoid all the crowds, as you will see, because she's filled with all sorts of guilt and shame in her life, doesn't want to have to face anyone. And so she shows up to the well. Jesus asks her for a drink, and... Um, and she's shocked that Jesus would even interact with her. And in fact, Jesus responds to her by saying, if you knew who was asking you for a drink, you would ask him, you would ask me for living water. And she says, what? You don't even have anything you can draw up from the well. You don't have a container or anything to be able to draw the water up. She kind of misses the whole point. And then he says something very profound. He says, drink of this water, you're going to be thirsty again. But drink of the water that I will give you, and you will never be thirsty. In fact, the water that I give you will be like a spring of water welling up within you to eternal life. Very profound. And she says, oh, yes, I want that water. And so Jesus says, go, go get your husband and bring him here. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus, kind of in a matter-of-fact way, no condemnation, no shame, says to her, yeah, that's right. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the guy you're now with is not your husband. And she says, wow, you must be a prophet. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's almost comical when you read through that because you go, yeah, of course. And, uh, and then they carry on a conversation about worship because this is what it's really all about. She's been worshiping male affection for years, and what she needs to do is stop worshiping worship. She worshiped her way into trouble. She needs to worship her way out of trouble, as we all need to do. And, and so they talk about worship. They kind of end with her realizing this is the Messiah. And then the disciples show up. And, uh, and this is where we, we're going to drop right into the middle of our text this weekend in verses 31 through 34. Let me give you the next fill in the blank here. So why share your faith? It is spiritual sustenance. It is spiritual sustenance. And let me uh, read verses 31 through 34. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. So she's already, at this time, she's already left. She headed into town to tell everyone about her encounter with Jesus. And so now they're urging him to eat. Now, keep in mind, these guys are like the three stooges times four. I mean, they're, they're, they're really funny to, to watch. And these guys don't often get it. Have you ever noticed that when you read through the Gospels? Like, what the heck is wrong with these guys? Of course, we have the big picture. And uh, so Jesus picked, didn't pick these guys because they were the A-team. And so let me, let me continue reading here. And, and by the way, that's the reason why I relate so well to them. I, I love the guys, and I'm sure that you will too if you just kind of take a look at your life and then compare your life with what these guys are doing. 
but listen to what uh, they say. But, but he said to them, so they're saying, come on, Rabbi, eat, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And this is where the disciples don't get it. So the disciples said to one another, has, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So they, they really don't get it. They're still focused on the horizontal, the temporal. He's focused on the eternal. Revival's about to break out, and these guys are clueless, okay? And, uh, and so what is he talking about here? My food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. He's talking about spiritual sustenance. Whatever he's talking about, he talked about it again in John 17, 18 in his prayer to the Father. This is what he says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. That's the them is his disciples and us. So whatever it is, it's what he has sent us to do also. So what is this work? He's, he seems to be doing it with this woman at the well. Well, we know this work is told to us not once or twice or three times or four times, but five times. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. What is this work that is spiritual sustenance for us? It is the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do all that I have commanded you. And I will be with you always to the very end of the, the age, end of the world. It's the Great Commission, five times. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. I put that down on your notes so you can follow up on that. So how does that apply to us? What does that mean? The spiritual sustenance, doing the work. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And then he says, and he has sent us to do the same well, I, I think this is what it means as it relates to our lives, that there is more to life than chasing the American dream. Would you agree with that? Yeah. There's more to life than having a career, paying the bills, loving our family, enjoying our friends, going to church, and being a good American citizen. I mean, so you can be very successful by the world's standards and still miss God's purposes for your life. In fact, life is about letting God use you for his purposes, not you using him for your purposes. Make sense? I think people get that kind of messed up when they come to Christ. You see, the greatest privilege conceivable and the purest delight imaginable are to know God and to make him known. See, that's my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. This is spiritual sustenance. You see, when you encounter God in the story of Jesus, you get swept up into a story of such cosmic drama and beauty that you are forever, forever changed. When you become a Christian, you are made a character in and a carrier of the great story of redemption through our Savior Jesus Christ that has eternal and infinite significance. That's spiritual sustenance. So why share your faith? It, it, it is spiritual sustenance. Here's the second reason, because it is always relevant. Look at verse 35. He continues talking to the disciples here. They're asking him to eat, and he's trying to explain to them, no, there's a food that you know nothing about. He says, do you not, do, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you. So he's, he's trying to get their attention. Come on, guys, focus. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Lift up your eyes. Stop being so focused on the temporal. Stop being so focused on, uh, on the horizontal. Start looking vertically. Start looking eternally. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. All of us are the woman at the well having had multiple lovers. We can all identify with her. I've said this to you for the last three weeks. When I seek ultimate satisfaction in created or temporal things and don't find it, I will do one of three things. 
So this is the relevancy of the gospel. This is where everybody is on this planet. We're all trying to find happiness in temporal things. And so there's one of three things that typically happens. I just try harder, as she did. That first marriage didn't work out so well, so she went to the second, the third, the fourth, and the fifth, and now she evidently just threw in the towel on the marriage thing, and I'm just gonna live with the guy. So we try harder, or in time we become bitter. I see a lot of people that are trying harder and becoming bitter, but the third thing that begins to dawn on us, and this is where you know that the Holy Spirit is beginning to really work on your heart, and you're really getting in touch with reality, is that you realize that you were built for another world. That you realize that, that nothing on this planet can satisfy the deepest longing of your heart like Christ Jesus. I mean, that's the reality. It begins to dawn on you. So think about your own life. Where are you? Are you trying harder? Have you become bitter? Or have you realized that you were made for another world? You see, everyone on this planet has an inconsolable human longing that only Christ can satisfy. That's why it's always relevant when you proclaim the gospel. Now, some people might be trying harder, and they're, they're totally out of touch with that. They just think, ah, that next job, that next relationship, that, that next whatever it is. We're telling ourselves, that is what will satisfy me. Listen, it won't. Any more than the last pursuit satisfies you. You're going to go from one pursuit to the next pursuit. And then over time, you'll either become bitter or you'll realize, wait a minute. Wait a minute, I was made for another world. I need to find my satisfaction in him. That's why Jesus said in John 4, 13 through 14 to the woman, drink of this water, you'll be thirsty again. Drink of the water that I will give you, you'll never be thirsty. You'll never be thirsty. That is amazing. What? I'll be content? I'll be satisfied? Yes. Yes. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has set eternity in our heart. As one theologian put it, if there is a God who created you, then the deepest chambers of your soul simply cannot be filled up by anything less. I don't care how much success you have on this planet, it can never fully satisfy you like Jesus can. And some of you might need to hear that over and over again before it dawns on you. I, I understand. We all do. All the success in this world can't give that satisfaction to you. And listen to me, all the suffering in this world can't take it from you. What we have in Christ, oh my goodness, it's out of this world. It's, it's, it's quite spectacular, it's beautiful, it's amazing. There's no words that you can use to describe it. So why share your faith? It is spiritual sustenance, always relevant, and it is life transforming. Look at verses 36 to 38. Jesus continuing to talk to his disciples, trying to help them to understand. He says, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. The gathering fruit of eternal life is gathering people for eternal life. It's helping people to know God. That's what it is. And he says they're receiving their wages. Every time we have a baptism, which by the way, we're going to have to do a baptism on Easter weekend. And uh, every time we do a baptism party, every time we uh, have people get involved in our game of life, every time we see people getting involved in ministry, every time we see people getting involved in small groups, it's payday for, for us. We always talk about it on staff. That's payday. We love it. We love to see that because we're doing what God has called us to do is to help people become fully devoted followers of Christ. That's what Jesus is saying. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages, gathering fruit for eternal life. So that sower, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. He's actually talking about himself. He's doing a ton of sowing, and what's going to happen when he's crucified, he's resurrected, and then he ascends to heaven, there's a revival that breaks out on the planet, particularly in Rome. It goes from 12 to 120 in the upper room, and that's chapter 2 of Acts, and then 3,000 people come to Christ, and then from then on, it's just... 
it just goes crazy. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing. And that's what he's talking about here. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 7. Listen to what Paul says. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So, so here's, the, here's the point behind this, is that when you share your faith with others, when you're encouraging people to take steps closer to God, you're either sowing seeds or watering seeds, and maybe, just maybe, you might be able to, to reap the harvest of that. Praise God if you do, but not always. And so you can't get discouraged by just sowing and watering, sowing and watering without any results. I mean, imagine if you, if you have a garden. Anybody do any gardening here? Okay, cool. Yeah, there's a few of you. So when you plant those seeds, do you go back a couple days later and try to dig it up to see if there's any growth? Would that be weird? What would that do to the seed? Yeah, kill it. We, we don't know what's going on. We plant those seeds, we water those seeds, and we just pray that God will bring a harvest. So don't get frustrated when people reject you despise you, say, hey, get out of my face. I don't want to hear that Christian stuff. You have no idea what's going on in their heart. You're planting seeds. You're watering those seeds. Don't quit. Don't give up. That's the point here. Because God's word, the gospel, is life transforming. Yes. Romans 1.16 for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The gospel, there's power in the gospel. That's why you, you, you plant it, you water it. God will bring the harvest. I'll never forget it as long as I live. I was a Buddha firefighter with Phoenix Fire Department, and uh, Booter is a probationary firefighter. I was on Engine 5, it was the old Station 5 off of 16th Street in um, Thomas. We just sat down for dinner, got the call in, attempted suicide. Hopped on the truck, went down about two blocks, apartment complex, second story up, got there, police were already there, they had the tape out. And people were kind of standing around wondering what's going on at this apartment complex. We went upstairs, brought our, all of our equipment up there. Police officer said, nah, uh, 901H, they're obviously dead. And uh, my captain went in just to make sure. He was an acting captain at the time. And he went in and uh, looked at the call, looked at the person there. It was a 21-year-old male. And he came outside and said, hey, Booter, come here, you need to see this. And I walked in there, I'll never forget it as long as I live. And then I, I saw similar things like this through, throughout my career that just shook me to the core of my being. I walked in there, and this 21-year-old, and I heard the story is that he had been in a relationship on again, off again, on again, off again. Finally, the gal said, I'm out of here. He was so distraught in such despair. He was in a little studio apartment. He sat up on his bed, put the butt of a double-barrel shotgun in his feet and pointed that two barrels towards his face and pulled the triggers. And it was a devastating scene. I'd never seen anything like that. And I won't go into any more detail other than that. And it shook me to the core of my being. And as a Christian, as you try to sort through that, John 10.10 really came to heart, and it's really kind of the thrust of Desiree's is what drove me to want to start this, this church, to reach people in the neighborhood and in this city and in this state and in this country and throughout the world. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I saw it firsthand that Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. And as I was thinking about this, and as I went to other calls, and as I became a medic, going to very 
a number of really tragic calls, the Holy Spirit convicted me to think about what I saw, consider the implications, let my heart be gripped by the reality of it. Consider what might have changed the trajectory of this young man's life. He was 21 years old. He took his life. And I began to think out, what, what will change the trajectory of individual lives, marriages, homes, or, or communities? I mean, and through the years, I've examined the options. I'm sure you have too. I went through the different options. And what would change the trajectory of people's lives and communities? What do we desperately need? As things seem to be getting worse here in America, what do people need? I see a lot of Christians chasing a lot of rabbits, thinking, oh, this is what we need. I'm telling you, I mean, as I went through the options, scroll through the options just for a moment. Politics, are politics gonna save the day? I mean, politics, they write laws for the good of society and that's important. How about education? They can, education can teach you some good life skills, reading, writing, arithmetic. How about economics? Yeah, people need a job, there's no doubt about it. Self-help can help with behavioral modification. Psychology can teach techniques that that can aid self-understanding, but none of these, none of these can transform a human heart, heal a wounded soul, turn hatred into love, and bring about repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation. Listen to me, like the gospel. I have never seen anything more powerful than the gospel, praise God. Yeah, I've had a front row seat to watch to watch what God does best to transform people's lives. That is what drove us to start Desert Breeze. That's the, the, the basis of Desert Breeze, is to proclaim the gospel of our Savior to this city, to this neighborhood, this city and beyond. All human problems, only the gospel can ultimately change the trajectory of individual lives, marriages, homes, and communities. All human problems are ultimately symptoms, and our separation from God is the cause, and the gospel is the cure. The gospel is the cure. The gospel is the cure. Stay focused on the gospel. I know things are getting crazy. It's going to get worse. Stay focused on the gospel. Keep pointing people to Jesus. That's our job. That's what we should be doing. Don't chase rabbits. Don't get thrown off. That's the enemy's work. Stay focused on the gospel. This is the work that God's called us to do, to know him and to make him known, to know him and to make him known. I started thinking about, I, I, I did some research yesterday about how many people have been, how many people die every day of COVID. And you know, there's debate on the numbers and all that, I got it, but they, the, the recent statistics say 19 people every day die of COVID, so I'm not gonna use that as an example. I'm gonna actually use cancer. How many people do you think die every day of cancer in America? 1,500 every day of cancer in America. Now imagine you were able to come up with a cure for cancer. I mean, you could just, you wiped out all cancer, therefore no more 1,500 people dying every day. You had the cure to cancer. You found it, you discovered it. Besides being really, really wealthy, I mean, that would be absolutely amazing. And, uh, but if you didn't share that with the world, it wouldn't just be unloving. It would be criminal. Christians have something that is infinitely and eternally more important. Listen to me, we have, we have a love that conquers sin, wipes out shame, heals wounds, reconciles enemies, restores broken dreams, and ultimately changes the world one life at a time. And this transforming message has been given to the church, and what that means is that the future of people's lives rest in the hands of local congregations like Desert Breeze. We need to reach out to people and let them know about the gospel. So, so why share your faith? That's the first. That should 
eliminate apathy. Spiritual sustenance, it is spiritual sustenance, always relevant and life transforming. That eliminates our apathy. How to share your faith, how do we do that? This will help to eliminate any inadequacy. Listen to me, it's, it's much more simpler than what you think. <laughs> you know, we think we have to be uh, theologians of, well, we're all theologians, but we have to have some sort of a degree to be able to express our faith and answer all the arguments that are out there and all that. No, 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 you don't, it's much simpler than that. And this is based on verses 27 through 30 and 39 through 45. So how to share your faith. First of all, let grace overwhelm you. That's the first thing. Now look at verses 27 through 28. So just then the disciples came back. So remember, we jumped into the middle of the story. So we're going back to the front of the story of our text. And Jesus has been talking to the woman at the well. The disciples come back from town. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? You can see a little bit of that, that racism coming up in, in the disciples here. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, we'll stop there just for a moment, and we'll continue reading in the next point. So this woman is an outcast filled with shame, feeling rejected and lonely. And what's amazing about the story is that Jesus tenderly reaches through every barrier, every racial, gender, social, and moral barrier and touches this woman's heart. And this is revealing the loving relational inclusivity of the gospel. And the woman is so excited about her encounter with Christ that she leaves her water jar. Did you notice that? It's like, that's really critical in this arid region, dry, desert, noon, hottest part of the day. You left your water jar. She was so excited. See, when you meet Jesus, the things that you needed the most are no longer that important to you. And she doesn't go to strangers or, or go up on a soapbox and begin to preach. She goes to people that she knows to tell them about Jesus. So how much do you need to know to tell others about Jesus? Obviously not much, <laughs> because she doesn't know that much. She has this encounter with Jesus at this well, Jacob's well, and she is lit up and goes back to her town and wants to tell everyone about him. You don't need to know much. You just need to know Jesus. That's it, to tell others about him. You see, once you've tasted a fellowship with God, you have to want anyone else you care about to experience it too. It's just natural. Here's a woman, think about this. Here's a woman who was running from people. And now she's running to those very people. The people that she, she didn't even want to face, so she comes out at noontime to draw water. She wants to avoid the crowds, and now she's running right into the crowds right into those very same people. She is no longer ashamed of her story because God has changed her story. Do you hear that? Do you see that? Now, there's three different ways that we can develop a, an identity. We can develop our identity based on what we've done, or we can develop our identity based on what has been done to us. And I'm sure that's what she had built her identity on. Therefore, she had a lot of guilt and shame because of that. So these guys certainly uh, used and abused her. And what, these, what they had done to her, that was a part of her identity. And what she had done in these multiple relationships and now living with this guy. We can build our identity on, on what we've done or what has been done to us, or we can build our identity on what Christ has done for us once and for all on the cross. Now let me, let me just, for us, and I think this is, this is really important for us, your identity is not based on what has been done to you. I know that there are those that are here that have had some horrible things done to you. That is not your identity. Nor is it based on what you have done. I know that some of you have done some really horrible things. But your identity is based on what Christ has done for you. That's what came to her full realization. She just goes, oh my goodness. I mean, it eliminated the guilt and shame. See, guilt is being troubled over what you've done. And what does the Bible say about what we've done? There 
There's therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. What? Yeah, he will never, ever, ever, ever hold your sin against you. He completely forgives you of all your sin. She was experiencing that. Shame is uh, being troubled over who you are. And we know this. By the way, the verse that I just quoted was Romans 8.1. But we know this, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Those that are in Christ have become a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. We have a new identity. That's what she was experiencing. Let grace overwhelm you. Christ has not only removed your guilt, but also your shame. You're identified by what Christ has done for you. So how to share your faith? Let grace overwhelm you. Here's the next one. Share your heart. Share your heart. That's the next fill in the blank. Look at verses 29 through 30 and then 39. Come. So she's out there interacting with these people that before this she was wanting to avoid. She says, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. You hear how profound that is? What? He knows about the five guys that you've been married to and the, and the guy now that you're living with? Yes, he knows all about that. Her mess was part of her message. You see, as you talk about your mess and the message of Jesus, it allows others to have hope and encouragement in their mess. She's not hiding her heart, the wellspring of her life. Tells us in Proverbs 4, 23, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. And so learning to share your heart with those around you, it's just, just be natural about how you deal with problems and make decisions and establish priorities. Just be natural, let it overflow your heart. If it's in your heart and you're walking with Christ, you're enjoying Christ, he's leading you, he's guiding you, you're finding satisfaction in him. That will overflow your heart. Don't hide. Your mess is your message. Your trauma is your testimony. That's what she's doing. See, and if you understand grace, if you understand that he's set you free from your guilt and shame, then you're going to be more vocal about your mess and how he has been a part of that mess to redeem you. Giving your testimony should be the natural overflow of your heart. If you aren't public with your faith, then Christ isn't central to your heart because it should, should just be the natural overflow. It's not, I better start giving my testimony. No. You can't help but tell people about Jesus if he is central to your heart. It becomes the overflow of your heart. Luke 6.45 says, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. <laughs> I don't know if I like that verse. But uh, it's, it's one of those verses you go, and I've been more conscientious of this of, of late, is that what comes out of my mouth is revealing my heart. Your words are a window into your heart. And, and sometimes my words <laughs> don't reveal, you know, really good stuff. You know what I'm saying? Anybody relate to that? Okay. Yeah, it's just like, oh. That just exposed my heart. I didn't mean to say that. Yes, you did. It's in your heart. But it, but it says, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. If Christ is at the central of your heart and you love him and you enjoy him and you make your decisions based on how he guides you, when you face conflict and difficulties, he's with you through those, then that will just be the natural overflow of your heart. Your mouth, your heart, through your mouth, through the words that you speak. You see, what she discovered is that grace is, is that God sees me at my worst and loves me to the heavens. That's what she experienced. Grace keeps us from seeing any person or situation as hopeless. Grace is God's gift of living water, ultimate satisfaction to all who will come and receive. And here's what's interesting about grace. The more you understand grace, 
then you are more vulnerable with your life. You're able to share your life with others. You share your mess and the message of the cross with others. And vulnerability begets vulnerability. If you're in a small group, nobody's being vulnerable. Maybe you need to be vulnerable. And I'll guarantee you, one person is vulnerable, others will become more vulnerable. Because it creates a safe environment for people to be able to share. By the way, I don't know if you notice this, we all have a bit of a mess, don't we? Like I said, we're all the woman at the well. If, if you haven't looked lately, you're probably out of, you know, you're living in denial if you don't believe that and understand that. So, so we are all desperate for our Savior. And sometimes it takes, either we see the light or we have to feel the heat. And sometimes we have to feel the heat. We have to get, we have to go through some really horrible crisis or something to begin to realize, oh, I need you, Jesus. And he would say, yep, you always have. You've now gotten in touch with reality. And so vulnerability begets vulnerability. And by the way, becoming a Christian isn't the admission that you have it all together. I've had people say, well, you call yourself a Christian? Yep. It doesn't mean I got it all together. It's actually an admission that I don't have it all together and I'm desperately in need of a Savior. So please forgive me. I'm really sorry about what I said. I hope that you can forgive me and what I've done to you or whatever it might be. See, it's authenticity that attracts people more than anything. Not this, like I've got it all together and, and I don't admit when I've got it wrong or anything like that. That pushes people away, but that authenticity, that vulnerability, and, and not making much of you, but making much of him. And then they see your mess and they see the message of the cross and they go, whoa, that's absolutely amazing. I want to know the Savior that you know. And that's what was going on with this woman at the well. See, it's not my goodness, but Christ's goodness that saves me. There's a couple other testimonies here that I wanted to throw in there because hers is pretty simple. Hey, come and see a man that knows everything about me. John chapter 9, verse 25. Remember this one? The man born blind. Jesus opened his eyes. Pharisees are interrogating him. And this is what he says. He answered them, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Boom! I love that. That's beautiful. That's a, that's a hard testimony to refute. Uh, th this just really bothered the heck out of the Pharisees because this guy says, I don't know what, but whatever, whatever you guys say about Jesus, doesn't matter. I was blind, now I see. Deal with that. <laughs> I mean, it's just beautiful. And that's what happens with your testimony too. You say, yeah, yeah, I'm a mess. Yeah, I don't know who Jesus is, but I'm telling you what, ever since I encountered him, I haven't been the same. I'm a changed person. And that's, that's what's going on. I love Acts 4.20. Peter and John are threatened by the religious leaders. Quit talking about this Jesus. Or worse things are going to happen. And this is what they say. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. <laughs> we can't stop. You can threaten me all you want. I can't stop talking about him. So, I made a list, it's actually, we've got this list in our Game of Life class, much longer than what I've got here, but identifying the testimony themes of, of, of my life. So how many could give a testimony about how you have experienced worries and anxiety and Christ has brought inner peace to your life? Show of hands, show of hands, okay, yeah. That's, that's one of your testimony themes. You could share that. I mean, there have been times in my life I just wrecked with anxiety, and I spent time in his word and with Christ, and oh my goodness, he began to bring an inner peace to me. And that's part of your testimony. How about guilt and shame? Anybody guilt and shame and how he brought forgiveness and new identity? Yeah, that should be every Christian. How about this one, anger? Ooh, he's brought patience and love. Okay, fess up. We all mismanage our anger, don't we? In some way or another. Whether it's open aggression or passive aggression, we all kind of do that. And then uh, how about emptiness, lack of purpose? And he gives us purpose in life, grief. How many of you, in grief, he's brought comfort and joy. Yeah, absolutely. Stress and burnout, powerful living, low self-esteem, significance to God, bitterness and resentment, freedom from my past. That's what he's brought into my life. Marriage problems, financial problems. There's a lot of testimonies you could be giving to people. You could be sharing. Your mess is part of the message and how he has redeemed you and how he's, he's transforming you. 
And as you're continuing to work through that, so how to share your faith, let grace overwhelm you, share your heart, point to Jesus. Verses 40 through 45. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to him, to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Stop there just for a minute. Look up here. You gotta, if you're a parent, you need to understand this, that you want your kids not to ride your shirt tail into the kingdom, have a kind of a secondary faith because of your faith, but they, they need to have their own faith. And that's what's happening here. The people are saying, hey, we no longer believe because you believe. So your, your kids should not say, well, we believe because my mom and dad, that's just what they did. And so I believe because they believe. No, it's got to be an individual personal faith. At some point, they've got to move from your faith to their own faith. That's what he's talking about here. These guys said, we no longer believe because we heard from you. We believe because we've heard from him. We've had an encounter with him. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Verse 43, after the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that, the, that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So what, what is he saying here? Just saying, hey, you're going to share your faith and sometimes people are going to reject you. Familiarity breeds complacency and even contempt sometimes. Even from your own family. Your own family may despise you when you share your faith as you live that out in front of them. And you've got to be okay with that. You've got to be okay. Because you have a real commitment, a real faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying there. Now what's interesting here, as we talk about pointing to Jesus, all other religions are about a path. All other religions are about a path. Buddhism, eightfold path. Islam, five pillars. Judaism, ten commandments. Hinduism, reincarnate until you get it right. <laughs> Jehovah Witnesses, baptized as a Jehovah Witness, door-to-door -door work. Mormons, resurrected by grace but saved, exalted to godhood by works. All other religions, this is what separates Christianity from, from all major religions and cults. All other religions are, are about a path. Christianity is about a person. We don't point to a path, we point to a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. All other religions tell you what you must do to be right with God. Christianity tells you what God has done to make you right with him. What Christ has done, it, listen, it's done. You can accept it or reject it. You can enter into it today by grace through faith in Christ, or you can just say, I don't believe that, I'm gonna do my own thing. It's acknowledge your sin. Believe that Christ died on the cross for your sins. Confess him as Savior and Lord. Man, that's, that's it. Enter into it. Give your life to him. Live your life for him. Let me end this part, and then we've we got one more section there we'll just talk about briefly. But let me share with you a story. I heard a story a number of years ago about a woman who worked for a major TV network. She messed up terribly and cost the network millions of dollars and thought for sure that she was going to lose her job, but her immediate supervisor took the blame for her. He was able to do that because he was well-liked and had a lot of uh, professional credibility. And she said, if he hadn't taken the blame, I would have probably lost my job, for sure. So she went to her supervisor and said, I've never seen anybody like you. I've worked in this business for quite a number of years, and I've seen supervisors take credit for what the people under them did, but I have never seen a supervisor take the blame for what the people under them did. Why did you do that? And he said, okay, sit down. Because you asked me, I'll tell you, only because you asked me. He said, I'm a Christian. And Jesus Christ took the blame for me. And that has shaped the way in which I do everything, including my work life. And she said, 
where can I learn more about this? And he invited her to church. Take a look at your notes. How to build a bridge of friendship with the unchurched. First, become aware of the unchurched people God has placed in your life. God has placed people in your life strategically so that you could be a light in their dark world. Commit to prayer. Put them on a list. Start praying for them. I mean, I'm telling you, do this. I've done this. I've done this multiple times, and I've watched God do some pretty amazing things and, and open up opportunities, divine appointments where I'm able to share my faith and talk to people. So commit to prayer. Make a list and pray that God will work on their hearts and then, number three, show that you care. Serve them, love them, listen to them, be their friend, and then be ready to share. Share your testimony when the occasion naturally arises. Now, April 3rd and 4th is Easter here at Desert Breeze. That's just a month away, just about a little over a month. If you came in at the front here, you saw the big signs on the, out, on the, out on the building on the back side and the front side here. And so... We're calling it Hope Revive. We're going to do a baptism party here. So if you need to be baptized in the next few weeks, we're going to be doing um, classes at the end of every service. And so it'll just take about 10 to 15 minutes. We'll walk you through the process of what that is. But uh, you, you, you saw the little, little tiny card there. There's more of those cards in the foyer. You can pick those up. You can hand those out. Those are free drink cards to invite someone. This is what I heard a couple years ago. Barna did some research, and he said that 50% of those invited to an Easter service will come. 50%. So you got a 50-50 chance. Oh, well, you have someone reject you. Maybe next year. But you invite a few folks with you. Be a bringer and an includer for Easter weekend, and, and they're going to hear the gospel, and we're going to pray that God will transform their lives, and um, that's, that's where we're headed. I would encourage you to do that. Begin to think about this and allow God to use you. Allow God to use you to touch someone else's life with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Next weekend, the making of faith, John chapter 4, verses 46 through 54. We'll wrap up the uh, chapter 4 in... Um, if you need prayer this morning, we would love to pray with you. I'll be up here along with any available uh, elders and leaders. And if you are new, I would love the opportunity to meet you this morning. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? So, Father God, we are filled with joy and forever indebted to you for the gospel, the good news that you have reconciled us to yourself by sending your son to die in our place for our sins and by grace through faith in him we can experience a love that conquers sin wipes out shame heals wounds reconciles enemies restores broken dreams and ultimately changes the world one life at a time so father god light an unquenchable fire in our hearts that would overcome any apathy and feelings of inadequacy as we lovingly and courageously share our testimony of what Christ has done and is continuing to do in our lives. May we here at Desert Breeze have a contagious love that reaches an ever-increasing number of people with the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Love you guys.